This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast, where every week we try to bring something new to the table to further your fishing knowledge. Whether it's a charter captain, a bait and tackle shop, a tackle builder, even a biologist, or even a photo or video specialist, we're just always searching for something to make you a better angler. Before I begin, just a reminder to follow us on all of our social media platforms on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even Instagram at Tide underscore Chaser. Um, also, just a reminder to check out last week's episode as we talk with Paul Marzola of Jersey Sword Fishing. Uh, we discuss fishing off the beach in the epic striper run that we have currently in New Jersey, uh, and we're going to actually continue that with this week's episode. But before we even begin that, I just need to introduce my partner in crime this week, Kwa. How are you? What's going on, Bob? It's finally uh, nice to hear a different voice than Tyler's every day. I know. I feel every- like it's been a hot minute since I've been on here. Right. No, not, not a hot minute. It's been a hot minute since me and you've been on here. That together. is correct. Um, let's introduce our guest. I am stoked this week. Uh, I just had a adventure with our guest of this week a couple, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, and it was just an awesome time. Uh, I would like to introduce Brian Woodfield of Stripe Tea Sport Fishing, or as most people call him, Woody. Woody, how are you? <laughs> Good. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. We are thrilled to have you. Uh, I had to catch myself there because I almost said striptease sport fishing, and I know that's kind of the pun there, but... <laughs> you um, wouldn't be the first, and you certainly won't be the last. So. Understood, yeah. Uh, before we get into striptease sport fishing and all the love and joy that comes with it, uh, we always just like to know about our guest that's currently here, so give us your background and how you got into fishing, where'd the passion come from, and go from there. So I grew up in Manasquan here, where I'm living at now. And, uh, you know, growing up, my dad was a boat captain. My family owns a marina. So I kind of grew up around boats and subsequently fishing. And, like, 
probably I was six or seven. I remember my dad and his business partner taking me out fluke fishing. It's one of like the earlier memories that I have. And from there, you know, I kind of got a bug for it. And the funny part is my dad actually hates fishing. Um, so it made it interesting when I really kind of, you know, got into it. I'd always be hounding him to take me, hounding him to take me. And finally, he had to cave. And what he did was he had a bunch of his friends that uh, were all big fishermen. So he was like, here, take my son out fishing so I don't have to deal with, you know, running the boat for him. And, you know, ever since I was 10, 11 years old, I've been fishing with these guys that are, you know, 20, 30 years older than I am. And I still fish with them to this day. Um, you know, they started out taking me fluking and then, you know, bass fishing that I remember I was probably about 14 when we went out bass fishing. And this was, you know, the early 2000s when it still wasn't really great. And I caught my first big fish that was like 32 inches and we were trolling wire umbrella rigs and, you know, nothing real technical about it, but I got hooked and it's been all downhill ever since. I will tell you, you are the first guest to introduce their father <laughs> and say that it's not because of my father that I'm into fishing, really. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, <laughs> I, I found out later in life, because I, I still to this day, I'm like, come on, come out fishing with me. You know, just one, one time a year. That's all I ask. And he told me not too long ago, he goes, you do realize the only reason that we ever went out fluking and was so that we could leave work early on Fridays. <laughs> what's his, what's his, with it? I so, mean, obviously he likes to be on boats. Yeah. Um, he just, I don't know. It's just not, he doesn't have the patience for it, I guess. And, you know, we all joke, you know, I work in the boating business aside from doing the charters and stuff, you know, most of the guys, I would say I'm definitely an exception that are in it they don't like boating outside of it because they're inundated. You know, mm, our seasons are long and it's, it's busy. And, you know, if they have time off, they don't necessarily want to be on the water, which I understand. But at the same time, me personally, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. I mean, my wife's a, a vet as most people know, and is she sick of dogs at this point? No, but you know, it's what she does for a living now. So the appeal has been lost, I think in some of that aspect. Yeah, so I, I totally get. It. Uh, I did want to talk about your real job. Actually, we'll skip ahead just just a bit here, and then we'll, we'll circle back. W what is your real job? What What are we doing on boats? So my real job, um, I work for a company called Marine Max, which I'm sure people have heard of. It's a very large, um, publicly traded boat dealership, sales service company. Um, our flagship store for New Jersey is in Brick, and I kind of oversee their new boat delivery department. And then my official title is I am their delivery captain. So essentially what I do is when you buy a boat, whether it's a fishing boat, a cruising boat, a yacht, whatever, um, after you purchase the boat, you meet with me and we discuss options, you know, things you want to add to the boat, things you want to change. Um, we get that stuff accomplished. And then from there, um, when it comes time to delivery day, it's not like going to a car dealership where they hand you the keys and say, Hey, Bob, best of luck. You know, we take pride in the ability that we train you on the boats. You know, you'll spend the whole day with me, you know, learning the systems, learning how everything works and, you know, running the boats as well. Um, you know, and what comes with that is, you know, a lot of training and hands-on both on delivery day. And after the fact, I also do a lot of, um, the transport of inventory between stores, not so much in the last 
year or so but you know if you buy a big yacht that's down in florida you can't put it on a truck and bring it up so they would fly me to florida or north carolina or maryland i did a lot of stuff coming in from europe um that gets unloaded from the container ships in the ports and then i run the boats up so yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting and you know i do like i said a lot of the upgrades and options so you know if you're buying a big center console and you want to do a full electronics package you know we sit down and we discuss this is what you can do this is what you're going to get out of it you know uh the bosses say i'm really good at spending other people's money so i uh i like to have fun with that you know i get carte blanche basically they give me a budget and i get to build it out how you know i would like it and in turn they usually like it as well but we've done some pretty cool stuff with it hey bob don't we need a boat (laughs) well i was just thinking that so if i buy a boat from you in say october Mm -hmm. and i just happen to bring four or five fishing rods i get a free fishing trip out of this it sounds like yeah i mean exactly we could (laughs) enable that sure as long as you know we've gotten to do some cool stuff where like um it started during COVID when we were looking for like exposure because when COVID hit the boat market was, we were very concerned. We weren't sure what was going to happen. And, you know, at the end of it all, it turned out to be some of our best business we've ever had. But at the time we were worried about, you know, a engaging with the customers, be getting them their boats. So we started doing a lot of stuff online. Now, originally they wanted me to deliver boats via zoom, which let's face it, isn't going to work, but um, we ended up pairing up for, a trip up to the Raritan Bay in April of 2020 with Tackle Direct and Tony Maja. We brought a film crew with us. We did all socially distanced bass fishing, which was cool. We did another one this year where we had the film crew with us. And, you know, we got a lot of cool content out of it. And, you know, I'm getting paid at my real job to go fishing and have people take really cool pictures of us doing it. It sounds like a dream job. I think (laughs) me and Bobby's both got to quit. Yeah, well, and I only work 10 months out of the year, which makes it even cooler. Unfortunately, the two months that I don't work are in the middle of winter, so. The um the first time we actually met, I was boat shopping, and it was during COVID, if you recall. Yeah. Um, give me your take on the nicest affordable boat that you think a new boat owner should get. Oh man. I mean, it really depends on what you, it depends on what you want to do. And, you know, we're a fishing podcast. So let's go with the fishing boat. We don't need a luxury boat. Yeah. Say, say Bobby wanted to buy a boat tomorrow. (laughs) Right. So, (laughs) um, lately we've, I've been real into like with the brands that we carry. So our store for fishing boat lineup sells scouts. They sell sailfish. They sell, um, Bertram has made a comeback and then they also have Aquila, which is a power cat. They started a fishing line. Um, you know, I got to say, I've been a big fan of the sailfish line. They're very simplistic and utilitarian. They're well-built. They run nice. They have everything you need. You know, they look really nice, but it's not like so nice looking that you're afraid that you're gonna, you know, get fish blood on it where some of these other brands, they look really, really nice, high end fit and finish. And, you know, you fishing is definitely an afterthought compared to the aesthetics of it. So I would say like for you, Bob, like a 27 sailfish, maybe a 31 with a pair of 400s on the back. We could have a lot of fun with that. Now yeah. we're talking. I mean, that was actually what we were looking at back in the day. We were this close to pulling the trigger on that sailfish. I don't even remember what it was. I think it was a 31. 
uh it was a used boat you guys had yeah. though it was it wasn't it wasn't a 2020 or 2021 it was like a 2019 or something but yeah we'll, we'll the, revisit the this new model of that boat oh it's sick right the new model of that boat is is insane and we just did a big job the boat actually is um headed south full time but the guy bought it as a blank slate and we did big 16 inch displays in it we did mm -hmm. thermal cameras radar high-end transducers outriggers it was it was a fun fun project to work on and be a part of for sure just because we all like to dream what's what's the nicest boat on your lot right now and and the price uh, I'm saying. uh so <laughs> right now there is a 53 scout on the property Jeez. um it's got quad 600 mercuries on it it goes for somewhere north of three i believe I don't like to look at those prices. You know, that that's, you already did that. Once you meet with me, you own the boat. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very, very cool platform, you know, definitely um, fishable for sure. It's got the range, but again, it's one of those, the fit and finish is really nice. Do you want to get blood on the decks? Yeah. I would personally, but you know, yeah, that's crazy because some of these boats too. My like my one buddy just got a I think it's a forty six Invincible, mm -hmm. and that thing's insane looking. I'm just like, dude, that's like a what six hundred six fifty, right? One of those something it, like that. It, it, it's probably close, if not a little bit more than that. You know, with some yeah. of those smaller brands, you know, I I can't speak to pricing. I wish I yeah. could. You know, I can tell you all about the the you know stuff that goes on with building it and whatnot but when it comes to numbers even mm -hmm. ever since covid the numbers are just insane now yeah i mean have with, with what's going on now have you seen a, the i've noticed it recently but have you seen the the boating market starting to drop a little bit now like a lot of boats i mean sale? it's so this year with new boat deliveries we did almost 100 which is on par for where we should be the best year we had was 2020 and we did almost 140 new boat deliveries and that's from anything from 17 to 70 feet um you know it but it's seasonal like a lot of people yeah. aren't thinking about buying boats right now and then you throw in the economy and all that stuff people are definitely a little bit more wary but you know boaters will buy boats and they will you know they will continue to fish it's it's a luxury but it's a lifestyle too so because we're always looking to upgrade to the next bigger one, right? Even though we have mm -hmm. one, we're always looking for the bigger one. Oh, I, I look on Boat Trader every day. Don't you <laughs> worry. Great, great segue. Let's stop dreaming. Let's talk about what you have. Let's talk about straight <laughs> tea sport fishing. Let's get real. <laughs> um, before we get to your boat, though, I want to know about the name. What's the, what? I mean, obviously, I think I know what the name is, but where did the name come from and the history with that? You know, I... I came up with the name like years ago. So this is actually the second stripe tease. I don't believe in putting numbers on the side of it, but this is, is the second stripe tease. I had a smaller center console that was the original stripe tease. And, you know, to this day, I honestly don't remember like the moment when I came up with the name. You know, I, I do a lot of bass fishing. That is my bread and butter. I love doing it. And I wanted some kind of pun with it. You know, I see in my line of work, I see a lot of really bad boat names and <laughs> I I like to take pride in, you know, being creative and a little bit offensive, but not too, too much. Um, you know, 
So it, it came somehow and I pitched it to my buddies and they were like, that's pretty funny. And it just stuck. And it's now it's striptease. You know, I do get, like you said, I do get a lot of the striptease and everybody thinks it's something like that, but I, I wish I could remember the exact moment that it came up. It was probably some like obscure moment where I was like in my truck one day and was like, Oh, striptease sounds good. And it just stuck. Me, I was thinking what he was like in a strip club in the middle of nowhere, right? And just like <laughs> downing a bourbon and all of a sudden like that strip tea. Oh, I mean stripe tea. That's a great name for a boat. Well, uh, I I did have another I did have another name in mind and my wife quickly shot it down. Bob, did you happen to notice the sticker on the inside of my door on the boat? I did. I wasn't going to say it unless you wanted to say it. So, <laughs> uh, you guys, you guys are the host. If it's a uh, PC for here, oh, we're good. You know, I want to hear it I'm now. A, uh, oh yeah. So originally, I wanted to name the boat Bass and Titties, but my wife was like, "I will not be caught dead on that boat if you name it that." So when I had when I bought this boat and I had my lettering guy do the name for the back, I had him make a real small one. It's probably you know ten inches long, and it's on the inside of my pilot house door, which is pinned open all day. Yeah. So, you know, you have like my, my business stuff on the window and then under it, it just says bass and titties. <laughs> so if, if you look, if you look on the Instagram and, and Bobby will tell you when we're out, you know, I don't like to burn spots or anything like that. So the easiest way to take the pictures is in front of the door. You get the advertising, get the pictures and like all of the pictures, it just says it right there. So yeah, awesome. every time I see somebody posted, I laugh you know, a little bit to myself and hope that somebody else finds humor in it as well. We were uh, out with a 13 year old kid, Owen. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know it made his day seeing that give him a nice chuckle. Right. Yeah. Um, and he was at the right, he was at the right height too. So it was like right over his shoulder. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I, Bobby sent us some of those pictures. That kid looked like he had a blast. I was, I was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed when he got on the boat and, as soon as I saw him cast, I was like, okay, this is going to be good. You know, I've had kids on the boat before and you got to cast for them. You got to make sure they're not tangled. And he's just rocketing cast into schools of Albies and bass feeds and stuff. And, you know, could read a bite, could read a feed. I was, he's good. He is very, very good. Yeah, we, we did okay that day. I, w I was worried starting out. I was like, oh no, uh, what if the bill happened? And then it, it went nuts. It was pretty yeah. awesome. I, I said the same thing to you after we put in that second or third fish. You're like, I'm so glad this happened. I was like, me too, because the last two days were absolutely atrocious. And yeah. the fact that it turned around for that was awesome. Um, I think you failed to mention. So what kind of boat is, are we talking about here? Oh, yeah. So I have a uh, 25 Parker pilot house. It's a um, 1995 hull, although everything has been replaced on it. So I have um, a 250 Honda outboard on the back of it. I put a Minn Kota trolling motor on it last season, redid all the electronics. You know, working in the industry, I get everything it costs. So I have stuff that probably no other 25 Parker around here has, you know, big 16 inch screen, which is like a TV, you hit your head on it half the time, but I can see it from anywhere in the boat. You know, we, uh, Jesse and I have really worked on it. Jesse's a buddy of Bobby and I who fishes with me all the time. We've uh, we put a lot of time and sweat into it and it's paid off. And I can honestly say it's at a point now where, you know, the work's never done on it, but this winter is a pretty minimal winter of 
projects for it. So it's more aesthetically stuff than systems and big overhauls and stuff like that. So I'm pretty happy with where it's at right now. I mean, before Bobby popped on, we we talked about this. As we're getting older, right, we're, we're going to want that pilot house that keeps us nice and mm-hmm. dry. And then you talked about putting a heat in there. So we want to be nice, dry, uh-huh. and warm. And then when we pull up to the fish, we're like, hey, guys, pop the door open. Let's hop out. Exactly. And I, for the most part, stay in there. And, you know, I get away from the wind. It's funny, though, like, my night vision is terrible. So when I leave the dock and everybody laughs, like I have the windows open so I can see. So it's still like early in the morning. It's really, really cold. But, you know, once it, uh, once I can see a closed windows, button it up, it's nice and comfortable. I can't complain one bit. Time for that time for that night vision, that thermo, uh, that, 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 uh, that night vision, uh, right? I've been, I've been, I've been thinking about it. My buddy's uh, a rep for him and he's like, listen, we can put this on and it'll be awesome. And I'm this close. Um, all right, should we talk fish? Let's we talk fish. This? We could talk um, fish. Fish is good. I mean, it's a fall, it's fall run right now. Yeah. When this airs in a few weeks, it will still be the fall run, which is awesome timing. Yeah. Um, it has We're- been a season to remember, mostly from the boats, I would say. I think there's been a couple good beach days, but I think the boats have just been having one of the best fall runs of all oh, time. Redonkulous, mm-hmm. man. This is going to go all the way past New Year's, I'm telling you, even though it shuts down. But, yeah, it's going to go past it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're going to have fish till January, I think. Yeah. No, it's been absolutely insane. I mean, last year was really good. This mm-hmm. year, I mean, there were days where there were just no words for it. The things – you know, that we saw and fish we caught and the numbers and sizes. It was insane. Yeah. You called it one point when we was, I was speaking with you, uh, national geographic out there. Yeah, it was, it really, it really was, especially the last couple of days we fished last week. I mean, just once we got those peanut bunker feeds and you just had fish ripping across, like literally swimming into the side of the boat. It was yeah. wild. And, throwing bluefin and whales and porpoise and occasional thresher shark it really was national geographic it was super super cool to see it's insane how their feet changes right when they're on adults they kind of just they're very mild they're just kind of sitting under school chilling and then you'll get you get a few but then once those peanuts move in it's like it's like total mayhem they don't care it is it is yeah no it was it was wild so the first peanut feed we saw was probably know two or three weeks ago on a sunday we were fishing a tournament and we started out the morning and it was a sunday so obviously everybody and their brother was out although Mm -hmm. even during the week i'm convinced people don't have jobs anymore they just fish um but it was a slow picking and a buddy of mine we were down south by where you live bob and i got a call that there was something going on right outside the inlet i ran the boat harder than i have all season got up there we caught our fish and then it kind of slowed down. We went togging for a little bit. And while we were togging, we had bluefin blowing up around us. That's another story. Got back up to bass fish and we saw birds from like a mile away. And we rolled in and there was a fleet that was, they didn't, I don't know if they didn't realize they were peanuts or what, but, you know, we were running and gunning on these fish. And, you know, we pulled three or four fish that were over 45 inches out of these feeds. And then just like that, it shut off. But, I mean, it was wild. These were big fish blowing completely out of the water on bait. It was super, super cool. And then since then, it's been, you know, we had 
another, you know, two weeks after that, every time I got out, we would find these feeds and you didn't have to stay with them. The fish would be under them. You could just drop your baits a little bit deeper and you'd get walloped. And we fished, you know, we would leave at 5 6 o'clock in the morning. By 9 o'clock, 10 30 at the latest, we'd be so tired. We'd turn around and come in, you know, 30, 40 fish days. Can't complain about that. 30, 30, 40 fish days. No. Coming in at like 10 30, no possible way. Yeah. And it's all this year in particular, it's been very close to, you know, where we run out of in Manasquan. Like, yeah, you know, there were a couple of days that I would go south, but not, you know, not really. Most of the stuff was within five miles and it was good. It was, you know, consistent fishing. You didn't really have to go and prospect a lot for it. Yeah. Same for me. Like I haven't, I haven't even crossed that border of Manasquan yet. Like I've just been staying north out of Shark River. It, it fish mm-hmm. has all just been there i I haven't even gone south this season yet yeah and that's the thing you know like everybody's like oh do you go north or south it really didn't seem to matter like you could go yeah. either way and find fish and yeah. you know it's even better when you get on a feed by yourself but mm-hmm. either way you were finding stuff and it was good yeah yeah you'll get those periodic day when it's like a weird wind blow or something like that and they'll be they'll be off the feed for like a day or something like mm-hmm. that, and then like next day or two, it'll just reset again, and they'll, they'll just be on the feet again. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk. I mean, obviously, these crazy blitz conditions—you could throw a peach pitch, a peach pit with a hook. I always say out there, and probably still end up catching a striper. Um, let's talk about some techniques that we usually don't talk about here. Some of the things that we did on the boat mm-hmm. with you when the fight did shut down, um, and I'll let you go in order. I'll just bring up the topics. I want to talk about spoons. I want to talk about the troll because we got into an epic troll bite while everyone else was struggling. Um, and then the Albies took over, but that was a different problem. Uh, and then I want to talk about yeah. fishing the river, uh, which is something actually, I don't think mm-hmm. we really touched that much. Uh, and I'm talking, I'm not going to mm-hmm. name the river, but I think everybody knows which one it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. There's a couple rivers, the shark river, Manasquan. You can even think of Barnegat kind of being a river-ish too um, when the, mm-hmm. the current's going, but uh, pick your poison there and let's get into a topic. So with the spoons, are you talking about like flutter Flut- spoons? You flutters about- or trolling spoons? No, flood. Oh, we can do bunker spoons too, but we can talk about that with the troll. I was thinking more flutter spoons, yeah, mm-hmm. um, which we've talked about a little bit here on the podcast, but not to an exhausting level. So, um, why don't you give us a rundown on spoons? Yeah, so the flutter spoons. I mean, I remember probably three or four years ago, I was fishing up in the bay with some people, and you know that was a big, you know jig bite up there in april and i remember running like big shads and stuff like that and the bite kind of got weird one day and this kid that was on the boat who i'd never fished with before he whips out this big you know flutter spoon and something i'd never seen before and once he put that thing in the water he couldn't couldn't stop it from getting bit and it's been cool to see them kind of progress because i guess they were big like musky Spoons or something like that. They were used in freshwater lake trout. I don't know. Uh, big bass, I think. The whole... they're, they're used for yeah, like yeah. giant largemouth and like deep, like talking about 80, 70, 80 feet of water or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, and it's cool to see how they've become, you know, almost a staple around here. You know, they obviously mimic a large bunker and it's a really fun way to fish. You know, you can drift, you know, where I personally use it, you know, on the outside edge of a bunker school or if I'm getting marks, but I'm not really, you know, seeing anything up on top. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to drop, you know, a flutter spoon to the bottom, take a couple cranks and then just start, you know, working. And it's nice because 
even when the rod is static, you can still feel the spoon moving. And, you know, every bite that I've ever had on a butter spoon, it seems like has been on the drop. And it's weird because it's just, for me, it's not natural. You come up with the rod and as it comes down, it gets hit again. And that's when you get bit. Um, but I, I love using them. I think it's probably one of my favorite ways to target them. You know, the conditions have to be right and you got to put in your time. It's, there are days where it's dropping real with it, but you know, a lot of times you're, you're jigging it for a while and when it gets bit, it's, it's worth it. You know, you do catch a lot of dogfish with them this time of year. So I, depending if I, if I catch one dogfish with, I tend to stay away from it personally, but they're, they're awesome. I really enjoy using them. I feel like the main way people fish right now is with shads. Mm -hmm. Do we think shads are still better than spoons or is this a situational kind of thing? I mean, you see, like, you go by, you know, guys, and you'll have a couple guys with shads, a couple guys with spoons, and, you know, that's normally how, like, when we're fishing on the boat, if we're doing that kind of jig fishing, I'll throw a spoon, somebody else will throw a shad, and whichever gets bit first, you know, that's cool, and then if we see one doing better than the other, we'll switch over, but I think that, you know, they both mimic a similar bait, you know, certain conditions, you might get it, you know, a better bite on one, you know, I will say with like a, any kind of strong current, the spoon, it scopes out and it makes it real hard to, to fish it personally, but you know, they each have their, their place and both of them are very, very good. You, know, you yeah. can cast a shad. You're not really going to cast a flutter spoon. It's more of a vertical jig kind of situation, but. Yeah. I was going to ask about that, the scoping out. Now, obviously you say there's always a time and a place for when splot flutter spoons come out. So what's like the perfect presentation for like using a flutter spoon i like a, a slower a slower drift you know anything less than probably two knots if it's really cranking and we're moving quick and we're getting off the fish and it, it's more so like where i feel like if i go to pop the rod and i look in the line scoped out i like to keep it say you know within i don't know 10 15 feet of the boat almost straight up and down because i just the way that i do it i feel much more connected to it but you know there are guys that'll do it till you know the cows come home and they still catch it's just a different different strokes for different folks i guess you would say i don't know i would if it's if the current's ripping i'm going to put a shad out and cover a little bit more water you know i can like you said cast it and you know broadcast around a whole area and figure out where they're at and then set up over them you know yeah, and some of these spoons are they're pretty heavy, like the magnums. I think they're like three and a half ounces. Now you're definitely mm -hmm. gonna you're definitely gonna need a, like a specific rod setup. So what's the like what's the ideal rod setup uh, for you know using flutter spoons? Because not every rods would be able to do it. Do, use a flutter spoon. Yeah, so my my favorite, I really only like to fish them on conventional. I know that there are some guys that will throw them on spinning rods. I don't get it. I don't like the feel of it. My go-to for that is I have a Jigging World Nexus that's four to 10 ounces acid wrapped um, with a Dio Alexa on it. Mm -hmm. And I love that rod for it. It is super, super, the feel is good. It's got enough backbone so that when you lay into a fish, you know, you have the ability to horse it around, but it's soft enough that, like I said, when the spoon is sitting there static, you can still feel it fluttering and tumbling around and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So when, when with the initial pop of that spoon, are you following the spoon down with your rod tip? At, is there any slack in the line, or is it more like you can see it like pretty much a straight line coming down? 
So, like I said, when they hit on the drop, you do notice that there is a little bow in the line, mm-hmm. and it it's a very weird feeling. I can't. It's tough to describe where it comes down, and you feel the thump, and it's just almost an, you're halfway through the drop, and you have mm-hmm. to come back up on it. So, my hook sets have not been the prettiest on them for sure, but. <laughs> You know, once I once I get a hook set in him, I do like to kind of lay into it one more time, make sure it buries because I have dropped a few. I dropped a really nice one, yeah, early October this year when like this bite first turned on. We were off a of bait school, just kind of bsing around, and I got waylaid by one, and it was a big fish, and it took it took a lot of line, and then I don't know if I just didn't have a good placement on it or or what, and I felt him shake, and it just went static. And that was a heartbreaker, but you know, it's, you definitely want to make sure that you, your, your hooks are sharp and you buried in there, at least on the first one, if not give it a little bit on the second, just to make sure. Definitely. Uh, anything else, Bobby on the spoons? If not, I got one more question about them. No, let's do it. And then let's get into the troll bite. All right, cool. Yeah. So on these spoons, do you find it works a lot better in like say shallower water? Like to say, say like, 20 to 30 instead of like the typical 50 to 60 that we're used to out of you know out front because i know it's um, a super it's a super I, big thing big thing in the bay right so everyone loves using the yeah, so because the water depth there's like 15 20 ish maybe 25 30 max yeah, deep, if, right? it, yeah if you're you're fishing 30 feet it's deep up there i i do like fishing them shallow i mean it just you know because when they fall they're kind of tumbling mm-hmm. down it takes a long time to get them down and again if you have any kind of current it's going to scope it um so I, I do like fishing them in shallow water. I had some really good bites with them out front, like, you know, post Thanksgiving when you have those smaller fish tied to the beach and they're in 25, 30 feet of water, I'll use them there. But, you know, unless, and we're going to get into the whole trolling thing, I, mm. unless there's bait up on top, I'm not fishing fish that are down deep in 50, 60 feet of water unless I'm pulling a spread behind me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's talk about the spread then. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Every- segue. Um I mean we did some weird thing. We had a great bite when we were out in the morning. I mean it was just bunker mm. snag after bunker snag after bunker snag. Uh and then the typical striper world it shut down. And then mm-hmm. we did something crazy. We left the bunker. We went away from the mm-hmm. bunker, away from the fleet, and we went like a mile or two offshore, nobody around us and you decided to just deploy mojos and bunker spoons and within seconds it was like fish give me give me the rationale behind this and what you called the troll bite that day and why we think it happens and why it's so effective and it's not something that me or qua really do often because we're doing smaller boats and chasing heavy feeds but uh it was stupid effective when we did it yes so trolling for bass it's funny you either love it or you hate it um you know it's it's definitely a tried and true tactic. All my super big fish that I've caught, my personal biggest at 54, 55 pounds was caught trolling bunker spoons. Um, you know, it's not the most action packed fishing per se, but you know, when you have, like we were out that morning, we had a really good, you know, bite on bait that went on and then it got crowded and, you know, it was pulpits over ang- or outboards and it was just tight and you know that pressure is going to push those fish down and it you know even running the boat it gets frustrating because you get set up in a position and then three guys swarm around you and you know it it makes it difficult 
Um, so when it gets like that, obviously that kind of stuff, whether it's a bait bite or hopefully top water artificials, that's my first choice any day of the week. But if we need to cover some ground and prospect and find fish or the bites just, you know, it's much more drawn out or the fish are down deep. Yeah. The trolling it's, it's very, very productive and it can be, you know, for big fish. Um, so like when we went out, the reason we pushed out, I got a phone call from some buddies and they were having a really good, really, really good bite. And they couldn't keep two rods in the water for more than five minutes. And when we got out there, you know, first thing we did was we put out the mojo. So, you know, the mojos we were running, I think we had a 24 ounce single and then maybe a 16 and an eight tandem, if memory serves me what right. You know, and those we can fish on, you know, regular 6.6 six stand-up conventional rods, braided line, because the weight of the lure is going to bring it to the bottom. So with that, you know, there's, it's still a lot of fight. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about slack in the wire or anything like that. So we did that and we got bit and we dropped the one right at the back of the boat. And that's when I decided to put the spoons out as well. And, you know, bunker spooning, it's very specific tackle. You know, you have a rod, like my rods are custom built. They're, I think, 8-2. They have a very soft action. They, people refer to mine as like pool noodles because <laughs> they flex, they bend. And the rod is what really gives the action to the bunker spoon. So I pull all Maja products, um, Tony's a good friend of mine. He's got the number fours that I really like. My personal favorite colors are um, bronze and white. You know, everybody pulls white and green. He came out with these bronze two, three years ago. And anytime I put a trolling spread out, I have one and, you know, caught a 54 pound fish on it, caught a bunch of fish over 40. I don't know what it is, if it's the reflectiveness of it or what, but it works. And, you know, with these rods, you have, you run Dakota 800 line counters with 300 feet of wire on them. So for every 10 feet of wire you let out, um, it's going to drop the bait approximately a foot. So, you know, if you dump all of the wire out, everybody assumes that it's going to be, you know, 30, 35 feet. You can get them down a little bit deeper if you get into the backing. But the motion of the rods um, is what's actually going to swim the spoon and give it that flutter action, which you see when you're pulling them, you watch the rods kind of dance. And that's how you dictate if you're going too fast or too slow and I mean, they work. It's not when they hit, they hit like a freight train. And, you know, the one downside to them is you have to be really attentive to people when they're reeling them in with mine. I run the Dakotas, like I said, so they have the level wind on them, but traditionally you use like a pens, you know, one thirteen HS an open spool reel. So if the line doesn't go on right and then a fish takes a run, it's going to bound. Um, you know, and you're not pumping the rod and really fighting the fish. We tell everybody, you know, keep the rod up and just crank. And, you know, if I notice the fish either start swimming with the boat or we slow down, I'm, I'm keeping the boat in gear most of the time, just so that we don't get that slack in the wire because the wire has no stretch to it. So the minute that it gets a dip in it, it's going to allow the fish to shake its head, open the hole up, and that's how you lose the fish. So, you know, with it, the people, you know, they that are anti-trolling if you will they see it as you know it's meat fishing you could really put the rod in a rod holder and crank it in there's no you know fighting it and but if it's done right you can really catch big fish and still have a fight with it you just got to know what you're doing and you know 
not be afraid to have the boat help you out a little bit. I remember, so Owen was with us, Owen and John. So Owen was the 13 year old. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I think he fought the rod more than he fought the fish at that point. <laughs> Cause reeling a conventional yeah. is not easy. And it was a, obviously a bigger rod. And um, then he's pulling against the and fish he, and he, on the way to the boat. And he was a lefty too. And all the yeah. rods were set up for right-handed. So he's like, I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. So another downside, but, but you're, you're right. The fight is completely different, which is also mm -hmm. interesting. I would say, I mean, it's not your typical, just trying to run down to the bottom. It's just pulling away. I mean, it's just a constant kind of tug, right? It's not the runs that you usually get. Uh, and to be fair, I mean, you will get, you know, when they, when they hit, especially a mojo, a mojo is a much more realistic fight. Like you're going to get the runs and stuff like that. And it's on braid. So you have a shorter, you know, a little bit lighter rod. It's more traditional, if you will. The spoon rods, when they hit it, they freight train it and they dump. But, you know, you it's all about keeping tension on the rod. You know, everybody says, you know, don't drop the rod tip with any kind of fishing. But this in particular, the minute that slack goes in that line, there's a good chance that that fish is going to come unbuttoned. So it's, you know, you're not really letting the fish take those big runs and you know they're hitting something at four knots and then they have this big spoon hanging out of their mouth so it's creating drag on them as well they tend to get a little bit more exhausted a little quicker than normal i want to jump i want to talk about fishing the river mm -hmm. but i want to go to albies first because we were doing that we got to this troll bite and then albie madness happened Mm -hmm. and what a terrible fish that's all i have to say about them they are they are don't tell me. you they, don't have to tell me at all i know they are the that. bottom of my list in terms of like a fun fish i mean thrilling to hook through great fight but like just a pain in the ass to catch um oh but then you want to do it with a fly rod even better bob well, that's what we were doing that day. I, I had to get it with a fly rod. I mean, we were out, and these albies always pulled up. And luckily, we had Owen on the boat with us because he was a sharpshooter. I mean, the thing popped up. He threw a epoxy in front of it and nailed one instantly. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that set the mood for the day. And we were like, oh, my God, it's just going to be albie fever. And then it just became a frustrating mess. Um, Let's talk about albies. <laughs> what... I mean, we got, I don't, I don't want to say we got lucky and they just popped up by us. Give me the idea behind finding Albies first and then let's get into tactics to actually trick these damn fish into actually biting a stupid lure. Or so it, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny with, with Albies, you know, it's really like you run and you gun and I'll cruise around all day looking for them. You know, I'll come out and if I'm staying close to, Manasquan, like I have like a triangle that I like to run and it goes anywhere from real tight to the beach out maybe 10 miles come back in and you're really it's such a visual for me at least a visual fish to find you're looking for the birds you're looking for them breaking out of the water and you know this year in particular every really good albie feed that we've been on we've been doing something else when it happens like you know we were trolling and I was like oh there are the albies they popped up the other day we were out you know the week before you were on the boat we were togging and we're like oh there are the albies and once we see them you know i'm a little impulsive like if i see that kind of stuff i'm like all right we're done with whatever we're doing i don't care how good it is we're going to chase albies and you know you see them come up 
and you run to them and you think, oh, they're going to be there. And then you get there and they're gone and you might mark them down deep or something like that. But it's, for me, it's, it's really just run and gun. I mean, when we tune a fish, we catch them. And personally, I hate catching an albie on a 30 or a 50 wide. It's a waste of, of time for me, but if they come up and they're feeding on the surface, I'll do that all day. I'm not going to disagree, but yeah, it's getting them to eat is tough. And I don't understand why, because they are just ravished and they're just eating everything in their sight. But goddamn, mm. are they smart fish? Yeah, they are super, super, you know, wary of a presentation. And it's, it's wild. You know, I like, you know, I don't fly fish as much as, well, I'm getting back into it, but not like you, you know. We can see them at a hundred, you know, hundred feet from the boat and rocket a cast into them and, and get something in front of them. But when you guys were like, Hey, let's try and put one on the fly. You know, I like the challenge. I thought it was going to be awesome. And let me tell you, that was humbling, you know, because one, you can't tell me direction to save your life, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> my clock was backwards. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, they're at nine and he's looking at my right side at three o'clock, but that's oh, a, man. that's a different, oh, story. God, Bob. different but, problem. Different problem. Yeah. And you know, my boat is not, you know, we, we fly fish in the river and stuff like that, but for that kind of stuff, it's not really set up. So you're sitting on the trunk of my cabin in front of me and, you know, trying to get in position. It, it's, it's tough, man. I, I have a whole new level of respect for the guys that do it on fly and just the fish in general from, from chasing them that day. You know, when you got bit, finally, that was probably the coolest part of that day. Cause we saw it all right in front of us and you had the one roll and it missed and then they came back again, but it is, it's tricky, man. It really is. Everything has to be lined up and it's funny. It's a nine pound, you know, fish that really nobody eats it's just wild that they're that so finesse and you could put that much effort into something and but when you bit like you know when we were out and i don't know it that day with those fish i was fried for one point and then we had a shot and it was I would have done that all day. If that was first thing in the morning, I would have been like, Hey, listen, Bob, I know you guys want to catch bass, but we're going to do this instead. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was a blast going after them. Uh, I do think we had it wrong that day. I think we got very lucky. I mean, I was fishing this, well, I want to call it, it was a sand eel fly. Um, but at the end of the day, finally we realized what they were eating and it was like nearly a microscopic little spirit mm -hmm. about yay baby. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we finally figured that out and we finally figured it out too late. I mean, I have really tiny flies, of course, but um, we were trying but to it get was funny because they were eat they were eating ounce and a half epoxy jigs. Like, right. so that's where, you know, when we got bit on those, we were like, all right, this is the size we need to go with. And then we saw the bait come up next to the boat and it was funny. They were in open water. They were super, super finicky. But anytime you'd see like a coffee cup or like something floating in the water, like garbage, that's where we got bit. I don't know if it, what was, you know, if it gave them some kind of illusion. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it did seem like we weird, were weird stuff like that. And that, that's Albie fishing, like weird little finesse stuff like that changes everything. 
Yeah, it seemed like we were in a like a garbage slick. I wouldn't call it like an oil slick, really? like, but it was like a garbage slick. Um, that's probably why all the tiny little bait was around. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's how we find them too. Like when I always, if I see something weird that doesn't look right, if just say two off water colors, like brown and like blue water meat, and then it causes that that dirt slick that that leads out into mm-hmm. the ocean. What I usually do is I'll just kind of mosey on along and just looking up it. Sometimes you'll catch like bonitas and also albies just in that in that weird yeah. dirt dirt dirty line that we call it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. we had we ran into them this year. Me and Tyler ran into them this year, uh, and. It was a weird feed. It was like four boats, just four of us, four skiffs, all fly fishermen on there. And we sat in one little section, probably like, I'd say maybe 15 yards by 15 yards square. And we would stay there. Everyone turned their motor off, no motor running, and just sat and waited. And they just came right up, right by the boat. And we were just literally, literally roll casting into these schools. And guys were hooking up. And I finally got into one. And then I strip set and literally just broke what broke off on like 25 pound leader and i was just so devastated i was i wanted to and that and that's the one thing bob that i think we did wrong like we were running and gunning and i think if we had sat on a couple of those they would have come back up and just shut the motor off but you know live and you learn i mean that was that was my next question for you what did we learn from that experience how do we get it right next time i mean now that we did it wrong because we caught five six one on the fly i mean we did great yeah, oh, but oh. I definitely think I, I definitely think the motor and like running right up on them hindered us at times, um, you know, and you always try and set up and get, you know, in front of them. But they, those fish that day were just so squirrely. They'd go and you'd see them tracking one way and then you'd get in front of them and they were going the exact opposite way. I think that had a lot to do with it. And I know that, you know, when you were up on the bow with the fly rod and we were in the back with the spinning rods. I really wanted you specifically a shot and not have epoxy jigs rocketing your back cast every once in a while. But, you know, you get into that, you know, like you said, the Albie fever, it's chaotic. And yeah, that's, you know, yeah, that happens. I mean, I'd rather have more shots on goal, you know, line tangles are going to happen, especially with fly fishing. It's a guarantee, mm-hmm. right? but exactly. I take some shots. Yeah, uh, but you, but you guys yeah. got that cool, you got that cool vintage of Bobby hooking up though. You see oh, the dude. relief in his it, it, level you see the high. you see the relief in his face. It's the same thing when me and him went musky fishing. We were oh. casting all day for like he was casting this twelve weight all day for musky and nothing, nothing. All of a sudden he hooks into one, gets it in by the boat, like he's anticipating this the whole time. And then as soon as it's in the net, you see him like the, everything just lifted off his shoulder. He just rubs his belly. He's like, yeah, it just <laughs> melt. Yeah. <laughs> that's bobby though every time he he finally gets one he gets so excited i just need one that's it pressure off um where's i gonna go oh i'll tell you my lesson learned because i do think we did some stupid stuff with all the running and gunning but running and gunning is a true tactic for catching albies Mm -hmm. the thing Mm -hmm. that we did wrong i think is we attacked from the wrong angle and i think i think so too i think that was key because we were just running to them as quickly as we can so we could get on them and then the wind mm-hmm. with fly fishing is a big problem. And then I'd yeah. be casting into the wind or I'd have the wind coming across my line. So then it gets caught into the rods behind the boat. And then finally, mm-hmm. in the last moment, I said, we got to have the fish on the left side of the boat so I can cast with the wind. And that's the only way this is going to happen. Right. Yeah. And that's when we finally got it to happen, when we got the attack correct. Otherwise, there's just no yeah. way. No. 
on a good day, yeah. a good fly and cast. Then, Even Bobby on a good day can get 50, 60 yards, right? Especially when in your face. Like you gotta get really close to them with a fly guy to like even like not all of us can cast a hundred hundred feet, hundred ten feet, hundred twenty feet plus. Yeah. But you know, like the average guy can I picked up a, a good cast is 40, 50 feet at most. Yeah, I I picked up Bobby's fly rod in the river the other day and like was messing around with it. And then he just comes up and he's just like and mm-hmm. it was effortless. So, you know, and I said to him when we were on the boat, I was like, I'm really glad that you guys know how to cast a fly rod. Like we always joke, our mutual friend Jesse, he's been trying to get an Albi on the fly on the boat for like three years now. Wow. And I said, I was like, you do realize because he was the one that introduced us. I was like, you do realize you're going to catch an Albi and Jesse's never going to speak to either of us ever again. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's so precise and you know i agree with you 100 percent, bob that you know the angle of attack and they weren't big feeds they were tiny little they would come up and it was so hard to judge direction because like i said they went one way and you thought you had it and then they turn and just trying to get the boat in position and you know with a pilot house boat it's not really well equipped for casting flies off the bow of it right the other takeaway I had from that day um, is we, so we had John in the boat, who's also a huge fly for Shaman. I mean, you should see him cast a fly rod, not in windy conditions in saltwater on a boat that's rocking back and forth. I mean, he is a skilled, skilled angler. Um, but saltwater fly fishing is very different than trout water fly fishing. Sure. And mm-hmm. I say this all the time. This, it's all about opportunities and speed. You have to be ready to go and mm-hmm. you have to get that fly to them as quick as possible. And unfortunately, John has never saltwater fly fish in his entire life. And I think that's his takeaway from this because he would cast and false cast and false cast and false cast. And the time too he many. finally got out there, we're out of position. The fish were too far. It, it just, it just <laughs> didn't work. Short rods, yeah. heavy shooting heads, and heavy line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no false cast, one shot. That, that, that's the only way you're going to get yeah. it. Yeah. load it up and let it rip yep let it rip just why you just get a heavy shooting head to get it out there quick yeah yeah terrible fish hate them i don't think i'll ever do it again terrible yeah that's a lie i definitely will i'm still working on it it's gonna happen (laughs) it's a lie (laughs) um all right let's backtrack because i want to get into the river um because it is one of those we backtrack can i oh can we just pause this for one second i gotta go check something tan oh yeah yeah go did you pause it? All right, I want to I want to backtrack a little bit. I want to go back to fishing the river, only because it's such a critical. Um, I'll call it a safety mechanism. I mean, we were out one day and it was really rough, and the fallback was the river. And it's one of those fisheries I think where you need to understand it. You need to understand the tides, the water clarity. And mm-hmm. that will dictate whether or not it's good or it's bad. I mean, there's no nothing, no other way to say it. It's either going to be great or it's going to be mediocre. Um, but understanding the tides and how that plays into it really matters. So take us through the approach for tides and when you want to consider fishing the river and so forth. So with this river, I always, you know, I if I had my way, I would always fish an outgoing tide this time of year like starting in the end of september through october november an outgoing tide at night a couple days before a full moon stick you can do really really well um but you know there 
there's probably four or five spots, you know, the river's not very big. So there's four or five spots that I like to hit. And, you know, I'll definitely progress with the tide and move, you know, I could start right literally off my dock and work my way down. Um, but as long as the water's moving, and there's some kind of structure, whether it's one of the bridges, it's a flat, something like that, you know, they're going to hold on there. And whether it's bass, it's bluefish, I personally have never caught weak fish back in there, but I know people have, you know, it's, I found that if the water's moving and it's moving out, it's good. I mean, not to say that you can't catch on an incoming, but I think of it as just a big flush. The river is not deep. So those flats and stuff, a lot of things going to push off of them. And that's when we do really well, but you know, everybody's got their own way of doing it, but that seems to be what works best for myself. Is night right? Does it matter? Is it more tide dependent? Um, I personally have always done better at night. Um, but you know, I know guys that will fish in the day, the right part of the tide, and do just as well. I just have always had my luck at night, and I I like fishing it at night because there's not a lot of boat traffic. It's quiet. You know, you're not getting jockeyed around there's a couple of the the pieces that we fish now that i have the trolling motor it's even better because i can really pinpoint and get set up where i want and get if there's other boats there i can still get to where i need to be and not have to worry about anchor scope or anything like that um so i don't know i've always preferred fishing it at night but you know 10 15 years ago i wouldn't mind fishing at 12 one o'clock now i I, I pick and choose my outgoing tides at night by what time I like to be in bed. Unfortunately, getting old <laughs> sucks, but what are we what are we usually throwing in that situation? I mean, obviously we're not throwing we're not trolling, we're not doing mojos, right? No, no, no. I like uh I like small shads, like uh four and a half, five inch shads off the bottom. Um I love to throw a, a dock or any kind of top water like that. Um, you know, we'll throw metal lips, but realistically the shads and some kind of top water or like a mag dart or an SP that that's my go-to. And, you know, in the spring, when the bluefish push in anything, like you said, a peach pit with a hook on it, or as we like to say, a beer can with a hook will work. And, you know, I don't bring out the expensive wood or anything like that. The big pencil poppers for that, because odds are they're going to get lost. So if it's cheap plastic will hold up and it catches, it's even better. Yeah. I personally like throwing wood. I don't know why I like seeing a good chunk out of my lore. So do I, but when he, in April or may, when the bluefish come in and granted it's a, you know, big gator bluefish but if i lose a 30 dollar plug i get a little yeah. upset about it you know to, to me it comes with the territory i understand yeah I, uh, yeah I mean i mean the the but those gator bluefish haven't showed up there in a very long time i mean you get occasional little small pods but nothing like say like 2015 2016 whatever it's just a full total oh. invasion yeah no i mean like I think this last spring we had like a couple days and couple you know, days, yeah. we go out, we go out after work, like right on the flats, right by where we're at. Mm -hmm. And it's good. But like you said, 2015, 2016, it was weeks and weeks yeah, of just exactly. nonstop. And they were, they were everywhere. It didn't matter. They were everywhere. 
Yeah, there was there was one day where we were up on one of the flats a little bit closer to the inlet, and it was low tide. I had the old boat at the time, so I could get in pretty skinny, and they were tailing like redfish. It was insane. Mm. You know, it was cool. I was looking, you know, on Instagram or something the other day, and I saw some guys get into some bluefish out in the ocean, which, you know, yeah, we used to complain about. Now I, I would love to see that. Like, I don't yeah, there's some mixed I in. I them, but they're they're fun. Had a guy pull a 15 powder off the beach the other day too, and it's yeah, it's they're they're That's mixed nice. in there. Not a lot of them, but they're mixed mixed in there. But um, a couple of the party boats are doing night 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 trips now for big blues out for, uh, way out deep. But I mean, I think they're out there. They just they're just not roaming in to find a bait. I guess they just they just want to stay out there. Yeah, we had we had one good bluefish feed in like September up off of like. I guess we were off of like Monmouth beach, long branch area. And we thought it was Albies when we first rolled into it. And then it was all, you know, they weren't huge, but there were some big ones mixed in and we were on a fluke trip and it was slow. So it, it definitely saved the day for us. You know? It's a great, like an Albie or something, you know, yeah, you're not going to eat them, but it's a great redemption. You know, you yeah. can bend a rod and keep people happy, which is good. Yeah. I mean, bluefish always stays the day, especially if they're big. So mm-hmm. for sure. I don't know. For me, I, I, if I could find them on a flat tailing, like you said, on a fly rod, that's that's like the game changer for me. I could I would do that all day, even though I lose like a million flies, but I don't. Care. Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny. I I fish a fair amount down in the Carolinas because I went to college down there, and I spend a lot of time in Charleston. And one of my buddies is a guide down there, and you know that's his like fallback. He knows that he can go to these couple points at this time of day and catch bluefish. And like we went there and I told him, I was like, listen, I don't need to do this. The bluefish that they're catching are like 14 inches. They're snappers to cocktails if you're Mm -hmm. lucky. And he's like, and people love it down there. Like you haven't seen anything until you come up north and you see the big ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of bluefish. Same. I'm actually a big fan of eating them as well. I think they're great. I have this little trick. You soak them in orange juice and they're just Friggin' fantastic. Oh, so, so it's the orange juice now. I've heard milk. I've heard about oh. during up in mayo. I'll tell you a quick food story about bluefish and why I don't eat them. So <laughs> my best my best friend went to culinary school. And while he was in culinary school, him and I were living together. It was me, him, and his now wife. And he was like, I want to smoke a bluefish. I'm telling you right now, I can make it really good. So I go out and I catch like an eight, nine pound bluefish. And I bring this thing back whole and he smokes it. And he's like, Hey, I got to go to class. It's on the smoker, wait an hour and take it off and bring it inside. So hour goes by, we take it out. We put it on the counter on this big sheet pan. Bluefish has that smell. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mix that with hickory wood. The whole house stunk. His wife was like, get this out of the house. We took it out. It was just like, I couldn't get past the smell. It didn't taste bad, but like you had to like plug your nose to eat it. And he made like a pate with it and it was great, but I just can't ever since then. I can't do it. Yeah. I had, I so, had, I had, you want to soak it in orange juice. You can have all of them. <laughs> yeah. I had my first uh, smoked bluefish earlier this year and it was actually pretty good. Like I don't eat bluefish, but like I, I had a piece just because my friend had it and I was like, it was actually pretty really good. So. I mean, I eat all the weird fish. I think I think Albies are actually over, underrated too. I think they're great. <laughs> Obviously, they're not a bluefin tuna. Like, let's be honest. Like, I know everybody wants them to be a bluefin tuna, but they're not. So stop thinking they're bluefin tuna. But they're great. So I think it, they're fantastic. It, you're the second person I've ever met that's like, yeah, Albies taste great. My buddy, who's a guide in Charleston, he eats them all the time, and he eats them raw, which 
to me is absolutely disgusting. But <laughs> I've done that too. I've eaten them. He does. I've uh, we caught one in Destin, Florida, one year, and they call them bonita down there, which is really confusing for us Northeastern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our bonita is different. Those you can eat raw, and it's really we caught good. one. It was an Albi yeah. for sure. Right on the beach, we went up, got some soy sauce, chopped it up, ate it raw. Awesome, just awesome. Now there was like twelve Bud Light limes in the mix there, so actually I'm not really sure how awesome it was. Um, but it, but it happened. I'll, t- I'll take your I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, I was going to talk about blackfish, but I feel like um, we had a side conversation, just letting less, the listeners know uh, about Rhode Island blackfishing and how awesome it is up there. Um, so I'm just going to plug our podcast with Coral Rose from Professional Hooker. Um, because mm-hmm. I think the black fishing up there is epic and everyone should go see that. Um, you but should, instead of black fishing, I want to go to ghosts. What, oh, what Halloween I'd just talk, Hall- I'd rather, I'd rather Halloween talk just passed though. Why are we talking about ghosts? <laughs> Halloween just passed. Well, I mean, we were Albies to bluefins real quick. It's a nice, it's a nice transition. Um, I mean, it seems like it's the year of the ghosts. I mean, oh. I've seen more and more caught this year, I think, than I anyone mean, else. What do you uh, say? What do you, what do you say? We're not allowed to call them ghosts this season. Oh, they're not ghosts. You're right. They're just the it's usual. Just, it's just bluefin. Yeah, they just bluefin <laughs> right now. It's been wild. I have I have yet to catch one inshore, and it's it's a very very technical. Like you know, there, I definitely think there's a lot of luck involved in it. But I have some friends that they do it religiously, and when they talk about it it's the kind of conversation where you sit down, you shut up and you listen because they put in the time and they really, they grind it out. My buddies yesterday, they doubled up. Um, my buddies, Barry and Bill and Ron or Tyler, they got on too. They were out all day and it was bottom of the ninth and they laid into two nice ones. They broke one off right at the boat. They got the other one it was like hundred pound fish, but it's so, you know, you think Albie's getting in position and everything is right. That is a whole nother animal. And, you want to talk about adrenaline pumping. We were, you know, we, we saw them the last three or four trips we were out. We saw them every time. I saw one that was easily 600 pounds. Mm. It blackbacked behind a boat that was just cruising along. And I swear the tail was taller than the transom on the boat. And, you know, it's, they come up and they're gone just as quick. We were, that tournament we were fishing, we were out and we switched to TOG because we were also in the TOG portion of it. And the togging was slow, so we broke out the grill, and we're sitting there grilling some hot dogs and chorizo and stuff, having a beer, and three fish just rolled next to the boat twice. By the time we got down and got a popping rod out of the cabin, they were gone. It's right place, right time, right tackle, a little bit of luck mixed in there. I mean, to do it well, do you think you should be just looking for them? I mean, I think everybody yes. this time of year carries a tuna rod, but it's the same thing I hear, like you just said. By the time you get the tuna rod out and ready to go and ready to fire, you're too late. It's it's over. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you have to you have to target them specifically and be completely okay with going out multiple times and either not seeing or not hooking up. It's I I, I wish I did it more and I don't. And it almost feels wrong for me to even speak on it because I don't, I don't have the time to that I've dedicated to it. Like some of these guys have and the ones that put in the time are rewarded, you know, time and again with it. I'm just, I'm just slowly getting hooked 
on it and i'm just i'm scared like to even walk in that kind of you know to tread that water because i hear it it's an insane obsession i don't know if i'm ready to burn so much fuel gas money heart and sweat to go look for them you know it, it's funny it's funny that you say that like when i was younger and like i told you in the beginning like yeah. i fish with guys that are twice my age and we used to go offshore a lot when i was you know in my early 20s i would go out you know probably i i don't even know once a week it, would, it seemed like there was a couple of years where we would go out and it's going offshore or even inshore you know tuna fishing it's demanding it's expensive and it kicks your ass and in the last couple of years like when we were doing that a lot, if we had like a slow day and we're like, Oh, we're going fluking or we're going bottom fishing. I never wanted to be a part of it. Now I love it. And I would rather almost do that than go tuna fishing. Sometimes like I always want that ghost or that, you know, big elephant during the summer, but I also have come to love bottom fishing and doing that. And I don't know, it's, it's a weird transition. Most people go the other way. They go from, you know, inshore and fluke and sea bass and then they go tuna fishing and they're hooked i could go either way on it i'm kind of the same i mean it's a little different i mean the fish for us that's kind of like the bluefin it's really like steelhead especially wild mm -hmm. steelhead like that's the ghost of, of freshwater fly fishing i think is finding a steelhead um and to me you know you spend hours and hours and hours you spend days and you might not even hook a fish Mm -hmm. and i could go the other way just as quickly i could just go slay a bunch of trout and just be just as happy as catching that one steelhead so i mean i understand mm -hmm. what you're saying and uh I, kudos to those guys that are diehard bluefin or diehard steelhead because it's just you know it's not for everyone that's for sure yeah yeah, yeah no me, it really isn't for me too my guys are like hey let's go we're gonna run out two-day trip to the canyon or something looking for i like no i was like but if you tell me like they're in like four to six 46 miles off the beach or something. Yeah, I'll go. But I'm not, I'm I'm yeah. not that I'm not that guy's but like I'm gonna sit in this boat for like six hours, seven hour ride all the way out to the canyons or something to, to possibly catch one. I'm like, nah, I'm, it, it's all right. I'm not going it, it, it it's really cool and I, I, yeah. I enjoy it, but I have found, you know, everybody's like, Oh, well, why don't you buy a bigger boat and go offshore? I have buddies with the boats and all the gear and stuff. Me, like, you know especially now, like my busy season, I don't get a lot of time that I can just drop and go offshore in the summer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me to go out and, you know, sea bass fish or fluke fish and do that really well, you know, I've, I've found that that, you know, I don't know what it is about it. I like how you really have to be on a piece and, you know, really fine tune, you know, your presentation with that. I mean, same thing with tuna fishing, but it's just on a smaller, more local scale. And, you know, we, uh, we're pretty good at it you know we won a we won a tournament last year fluke fishing caught you know eight pound fish it paid out good chunk of change and you know we have fun with it and mm -hmm. i don't have to worry about being gone for a day and a half and then recovering for half a day afterwards because i'm just exhausted because i don't sleep you know if i'm out there i'm going to be fishing so yeah definitely real quick before we move on to the next one um we didn't talk about this but uh Mm -hmm. What what days are you running your charters? Because I know, I mean, because you have a full time job, right? And then and mm -hmm. then you got weekends. So, like, what days are your schedules? Just say someone wanted to, you know, book a day for you for like this this the striper run. So I, you know, with 
most of my chartering, you know, like I said, I don't do it as a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And I almost like that better because I'm sure you guys have all been on charters with guys that do it day in and day out. And it almost seems like they, you know, they still enjoy it, but it's work to them. So, you know, their six hours is up. They want to go home. Um, You know, with me, like I, I want to be out there just as much as you guys. So, you know, if the bite's good or we're still looking for a fish and we'll push it and fish longer. And, you know, it's not make or break for me with most of my charters. I do them in the fall. Um, next year, I'm going to start doing a little bit more stuff during the summer, but I tend to take all of my vacation time or a good chunk of my vacation time and save it for the fall. So, you know, I was working three days a week for most of October. So, you know, if there was a good weather window, I'm, I'm able to just say, Hey, I'm not coming in. You know, the fall is my slow season. Um, and then I took three weeks off or two and a half weeks off in November for getting ready for the baby. But <laughs> I fished pretty much every other day during that. So, you know, if you want to book a charter, um, you know, we can put stuff on the calendar and we're flexible. And, you know, if there's a weather window during the week, I'll take a day. You know, it's not like I'm only doing Saturday and Sunday. You know, I honestly prefer to fish weekdays and then work my real job on the weekend. So it, it all depends, but there's a lot of flexibility, you know, it's really conditions and, you know, bites and stuff like that. So, sure. you know, I don't want to say I only do Saturday and Sundays or I only fish, you know, Wednesdays in October or something like that. You know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I have the ability and I'm going to make sure that, we get the most oh he's there you there i'm there yeah my phone my phone just started to die and i plugged it back in so i think we're good did you guys get what i said (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. waited uh yeah a little more editing clearly um So, I mean, we, we've covered a lot in this hour plus, I think, right now. I mean, we've yeah. talked spoons, troll, river, bluefin, albies. I want to know your most memorable fishing slash boating experience uh, as we wrap oh. this up here. And I'm hoping it's not like the Susan Rose. Oh, that no. rest in peace is currently in 50 feet of water off of Point Pleasant. So, boaters beware. Um, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a new tog rack. New tog rack. Yeah. I I great piece of structure. Just take the stuff out that's sticking up out of the water and let's fish yeah, it hard. Leave so. It, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, but either good, bad, ugly. Bobby likes bad. Some most of us like good, but Bobby like Bobby's like the purveyor of just bad, I do, bad I memories. Do not like a horror story. I mean a horror story that turns good is always my favorite, but so I'll give you I'll give you a good one and a bad one, and I'll keep them short because if you ask anybody that fishes with me, I'm a terrible storyteller. So um, probably one of the best days of bass fishing I ever had was 2020, 2021. I was out with a couple buddies, and we went out, and we were out in the fog, no radar, you know, just really going for it dedicated and we were cruising real slow and we see a bluefin pop up out of the water and instantly stopped the boat 
One guy throws a popping rod at the bluefin, takes a couple casts, nothing. Then we start marking bass, and we tripled up on bass that were all 35, 40 pounds. And then from that point on for the rest of the day, we were just on feed after feed after feed by ourselves, all big fish, all on artificials. We were throwing like the Savage Gear uh, eels. We were throwing docks. And I happen to have my nice Nikon camera with me and I have to find the pictures, Bob, if I can track them down, I'll send them to you. But it got to the point where I was just sitting on the gunnel with the camera and I have sequences of, you know, 35 pound bass, just tail whacking spooks out of the water and then coming back and eating them. I mean, we had, we lost count. It was insane. We didn't get that bluefin, but that bluefin was designed to stop the boat when we had no other reason to stop. And it was just absolutely lights out. Um, bad story that turned good. I uh, was up. My boss invited me to go up to Gloucester with him last year um, to go bluefinning, which is a really, really cool experience. Cool spot. Um, you know, obviously it's got all that wicked tuna stuff, but I also love the movie, the perfect storm. So you know, we went to the crow's nest and drank at nine o'clock in the morning with all the commercial fishermen. And then we had our charter the next day and we went out and I never knew this, but they have a very small window of a trolling season for bluefin up there. Um, so we went out and we were trolling and the three guys were with and up the year before and lost a giant boat side and they were looking for their redemption. But we went out and we hooked fish. We put out a spread of four 130s and 150 with a Ronzi on it. And I said to the mate, I was like, you know, the 50 is going to get hit. And sure enough, it does fight the fish, lose it at the boat. You know, the guys that I was with aren't big, you know, big fishermen. They enjoy it, but they're not doing it as much as any of us are. So then we hook or they come unbuttoned. It's getting late in the day and we're on essentially a lobster boat. So there's no seating or anything like that. We brought beach chairs and I'm sitting in a beach chair, like half asleep. And all of a sudden I hear the outrigger line snap. Next thing I know, I feel something knock my beach chair over on, I end up falling with the beach chair on top of me. We hooked a fish that freight trained this spreader bar so hard it snapped the weld on the outrigger mount because they were just on these like l-channel pieces of steel up on the hard top so the whole outrigger snapped fell into the cockpit hit me we end up fighting the fish and the one guy that was on the rod was just not he didn't have the motion of the hand with the crank at the same time and we get the boat up to, or the fish up to the side of the boat, and we see that it's barely hooked. And the mate reaches over, buries a gaff in it. I pick up a gaff off the ground, bury the gaff. The captain comes around, slips a rope on it. We barely had this thing. By the time he put the rope around the tail, it had spit the ball. I thought I was minorly concussed for a second, but it was fine. And we ended up getting a fish. It wasn't a giant by any way, shape, or form. It was a small fisher up there at like probably 100, 120 pounds. But, you know, we can say we caught a bluefin in Gloucester. And then, uh, yeah, it was it was a close call, but it, it paid out well in the end. That's the kind of story I'm looking for. That was awesome. Yeah.
That's fantastic. Yeah. That's that's good <laughs> you know. storytelling. What do you yeah. mean you're not yeah. a good storyteller? Yeah, well, tell that oh. to the guys that I fish with and my coworkers, and yeah. they'll tell you the other ones that aren't as good. I mean, who else just said that caught a, a, a bluefin in Wicked Tuna Waters right. and almost got yeah. knocked out while doing it? That's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah, so looking forward to going back up there. Hopefully all my buddies are going to Rhode Island talking, trying to trying to get some trips in, but this whole, you know, baby coming at any minute kind of put a hinder on my fishing season this year for, for the better, but still a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, I try and get out as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the pain. It's coming soon for me as uh, well. Yeah. You, you're in for a rude awakening. With fishing, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, la- last question. Actually, one more after mm-hmm. which is the hardest question. Um, bucket list fish? Oof. Um, bucket list fish. So I think we talked about it when you were on the boat. I have had several humbling tarpon experiences and have yet to physically land one. I've fished Florida a couple times for them. I was in Isla Mirada and hooked one and lost it this year i was in belize last summer for two days i hooked three so tarpon is definitely up there um but you know i i'm a creature of habit i like my destinations where i like to fish like we talked about rhode island i itching to get back up there i fish charleston a couple times hopefully at least once this winter is my game plan um, for some big redfish, you know, I'm still looking for that, you know, 35 plus pound bull red. Um, and then I really want to go to Cuba and tarp and fish and stuff down there. That's that's the big trip. That and we're talking about for next year, um, doing a trip where we run one of our buddies, big center consoles in, you know, October-ish, run out to Montauk hopefully catch a bluefin in the process bass and albie fish montauk and then shoot over to newport and tom fish and do like a big trip like that i i I look for trips more than one particular fish i like the experience over just one one fish that's a a better way to think about it i think because then then you're not stuck and disappointed if you don't catch that fish right you've at least had exactly which I always say this, it's never about the fish, right? It's about the experience and the, and the mentor and the, uh, the, the camaraderie you're with and all the, yeah, all like, the fun yeah. that happens with it. And a little bit mm-hmm. of, um, quite anything else before we wrap this up with the hardest question of this podcast? No, I'm good. I'm good. We think we cover a lot of stuff. Very happy. All right. What do you, toughest question for you? Uh, we would like to know, and the listeners need to know where they can find you and where they can book a trip with you, social media, website, et cetera. Better sooner than later, guys. So, yeah, yeah, seriously. Well, hopefully by next year, we'll be we'll be back at our regularly scheduled program. I may have a child strapped to my chest while we're fishing, but hey, <laughs> you know, wouldn't be the first time somebody's done that. Um, so Instagram, there's Stripe T Sport Fishing. Um, that'll take you to the business page and then my page is linked to it as well. Um, I have the website stripedtsportfishing.com. So that's got all of our booking information and photos and fishing reports and stuff. Um, all the information you can need on there. And then actually this year, I was telling you about it, Bob, we, uh, 
paired up with this app called Guidesly. I think out of Massachusetts, but it's like Fishing Booker. So they have an app where you can book charters all around the world. Um, we're on there as well. And, you know, it shows you available dates, what kind of charters we do. Um, it's got all the information on there. And like we were talking about before, where if, you know, you're looking for a specific date, I have it very generically set up right now, but we can fine tune it and work around schedules and whatnot. You know, I. Yep. Are you there? I'm here. Oh, okay. So, so we're, we're good now. We're recording. So start with, I have it set up generically. So yeah, I have I have the the booking thing set up very generically, you know, just so that we can basically get in contact with anybody that wants to fish and then from there, you know, we can fine tune dates and times and stuff like that so that, you know, we can work around their schedule, my schedule, the bite most importantly and um, you know, get out there and catch something. Awesome. Um Sounds simple. What what website is that on? I know it's on Guidesley's app, but uh, it's... so yeah, so you can go through Guidesley's website, but if you book through the Stripe website, um, it takes you to their booking software. So it all goes through there, um, but you can find it on their app, on the website, or my website. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, we appreciate you being on this podcast woody and really saving our skin the other day when i was looking to make a 13 year old kid's day uh which actually you did not me you came to the rescue that day you're actually my hero these days um so really appreciate no 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 that was that was my pleasure that was a lot of fun yeah it was it was awesome i'm glad the day worked out well too so we really appreciate you having on spreading your knowledge with uh not only us and the rest of our listeners qua any last thoughts Nope, we just need to get out and fish. Bobby, when's the next time you come back down? Yeah, well, it'll have to be next year for both me and Woody because of the children on the way. Baby, baby, storks are coming for both of yeah. you guys. Fall 2024, I uh -huh. think, it's, it's when we're back at it. Yeah, we'll, we'll set we'll, 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 we'll we'll, up a full Tide Chasers Day. Well, hopefully, if any, with any luck, if everything gets done on the boat as it's planned, I'll be up in the Raritan for the month of April. So. If you want to come, we can leave Bobby at home to change diapers because I'll <laughs> well established in that already. So hopefully my kid will be sleeping, you know, a reasonable amount and we'll have everything on cruise control at that point where I can get back out on the water and you know I mean we could always set up a bassinet or a uh, we could always set up a bassinet or a car seat inside the boat, you know. You got you do have a pilot house that's gonna have you know you know, yeah, you know, it's funny. I said that this summer I'm going to put a pack play in the cockpit and just take yeah. the rocket launcher out, put the pack and play there. So perfect. Or perfect. Or it'll be fine. Yeah. And then Bo <laughs> and Bobby will, 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 you know, pack his kid in his back and he can still fly cast. Yeah. Bobby's fly casting before their first birthday. Let's face it. Come 100%. 100%. On. Somebody needs to build me a one weight real quick. I need a three foot one weight. It's gonna happen. I'm building you a, a three foot one weight, all pink, pink, <laughs> pink grips, pink, pink, pink titanium guy. Oh, yeah, you're having you're having a 
you're having a girl too, so we'll have to have I like am. a girl fisher yeah. women. Fisher women club. Yeah, I'm having an all American girl. That's right. Shooting guns, killing ducks, and killing bass, casting yeah. and blasting. That's it. The Norgard way. The Norgard way. All right. Well, Giddy up. again, Woody, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate having you on. Um, and thanks to all our listeners. Um, just a quick reminder again to follow us at all of our social media platforms: Apple, Spotify, Instagram. Uh, most of that is tied underscore chasers. Uh, and then just one reminder to check out last week's podcast as we take a deeper dive again into the Jersey Shore fishing with Paul Marzola uh, as we continue to talk about this epic fall run we're having. So with that, tight lines, everyone. Thank you, Woody. Thank you, Qua. And we'll see you out there on the water. All right. Tight lines, guys. guys. We'll see you guys on the next one.